listening to the move swiftly podcast welcome to the show glad to have you to all my regular listeners you already know what it is man you know what it is we have nothing but the best just unbelievable people that have unbelievable stories and we are here to change your life once again you know as as many of you guys know i am a trainer for a company named positive coaching alliance and there have been multiple other trainers that have been on the show throughout the past two years and Today, I have someone who is, fairly, is, a, is pretty new to becoming a PCA trainer, but his story is unbelievable. It's inspiring. And, you know, he came to South Florida, did a co-facilitation workshop, and he does some just some incredible work in the, uh, the background. Your background is in soccer, correct, Mark? Yeah, I started playing soccer when I was seven. Started playing think- soccer when I was seven. So with, with, with all, and the thing is, you know, what's great is I, I'm a, my family's from Trinidad, you know, I have a Caribbean background, so. I played football, but whenever I said football, they're like, wait, soccer? You real football? <laughs> so it's always great talking to folks that, that have that soccer background. But with that, Mr. Mark Lawson, welcome to the Move Swiftly podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for having me. This should be interesting and fun. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, I think the best place, honestly, to start off, you kind of already started off with it, is just telling us a little bit about your background and where you played and you know, how'd you get your start in the coaching? Because you you have a lot of tips. You do a lot of great things, especially specifically for the kids, for the younger people. So I think it's important that we kind of get it documented about how you started playing and then how'd you get your start into coaching? Well, those, those two questions are related. I started playing when I was seven and I'm older. I'm 61 years old. So when I was a kid, very few people played soccer, but my father was from uh, Austria and not that he was my coach, but somehow that set us on the path of playing soccer instead of, let's say, American football. I also played baseball. But um, so but not many kids were playing soccer at that time. And one of my first coaches was my older brother, who's 12 years older. So I think I got the idea pretty early on that I could be a coach when I got older. So I played soccer uh, up until I was about 40, I would say. But I started, mm. I started coaching probably when I was about, I don't know, 28 or so, I think, just kind of, kind of recreationally. But then when I, uh, when I switched from being, uh, I studied engineering, and when I switched from being an engineer to a teacher, I got a job at a school, and of course, schools have teams, and I started uh, coaching at the school, and that's when I started becoming kind of a more serious coach. I started going through the, the training academies and getting my licenses and really learning a lot more about what it meant to be a coach. Up until that time, I was just kind of, you know, like a lot of coaches improvising on the fly. 
but when I started going through those clinics, I realized that you could like be serious and like think of it as a lifeline, lifelong journey to become a better coach. And I think I'm still on that path. Now, where'd you, where'd you go to school? I went to undergraduate at Syracuse University and I played two years there at the, on the second team. It's, they didn't call it JV and varsity, but it was a set, essentially a JV team. And I was there in the, uh, from 78 until 82. So two of those years. Right. And so now you graduated and you, you studied engineering. Now, was there like something that was kind of tugging on your heartstrings to get back on the soccer field? Was there like a situation where you could have, you know, gone down that path and then you decide to go through soccer? Well, you know, what was that process of actually picking, picking a lifestyle, pick, picking that career? Well, that's a good question. Uh, what happened was I did become an engineer and then I became a software programmer, which is kind of in the same uh, area. And then uh, at that time, my wife, uh, or she was my girlfriend at that time, she knew that I wasn't really that happy doing software. Mm -hmm. And she saw this little, uh, little job in a little school in San Francisco, teaching math one hour a day. And uh, I went and I got this job and the guy basically said, you are not qualified, but I'm hiring you because he just had, <laughs> he had, he had faith in me and I just fell in love with teaching. So I slowly, wow. I slowly made the transition out of uh, software and into teaching. It took me kind of two years to close down my business and mm -hmm. I, I became a, a school teacher and school administrator for the next 20 years or so. And then as soon as you're working in a school, there's so many opportunities to coach. And that's what I started doing. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's so much of it. Was it a situation where they saw your passion? Well, first of all, shout out, shout out to the wife for, for recognizing that in you. You know, a lot, a lot of women do that. Some that I know plenty of them that would say, hey, look, boy, you better take that money. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> shout out to the wife on that. Shout out to the wife. I got to give her props on that. Thank you if you're listening. But my, my next question is, though, like when you're when you're out, when you're out there having that conversation and someone says, Hey, you're not qualified. Do they, do they kind of see the passion that you have? And they, they say, because, because, you know, one of the things that you made sure you noted noted when it comes to like, you know, scheduling this and stuff like that is that you love working with kids. You have a, a great deal of passion and some great tips and some great things when it comes to dealing with the kids. So do, do people kind of see that in you and then they want to create opportunities for you. Can you can you just kind of dive in a little bit on that? Well, that, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, at that time I was young, you know, I was maybe mm -hmm. like 30 or so. So he saw that I had energy and he knew that I was qualified. I mean, I, by that point, I already had a master's degree in engineering. So it wasn't, you know, going to be hard to, to teach math to middle school kids, which was my first job. So he knew I was qualified in terms of the math. And he saw, I think he saw that I was energetic. But I really didn't know anything about teaching. I mean, every day was super stressful for me the first mm -hmm. <laughs> the first six months or so. And then eventually you realize, OK, you, you know, you got to just kind of get in there with the kids. But uh, when you're a beginning teacher and I think it happens in coaching, too, you know, a lot of beginning coaches have a ton of rules and regulations because they don't know how to um, kind of manage the situation in a more fluid way. And mm -hmm. so uh, when he said I wasn't qualified, he was right, because I really was didn't know how to even manage a classroom, uh, but I figured it out. But he knew that I could handle the math, and I think he saw that I was good with kids. Yeah, I, I listen, you're preaching to the choir with that one. When it comes to dealing with kids, all right, and this is true, this is important for all you listeners out there, you got to take it day by day. 
that's the word daylight because you have no idea what these young people are going through. You know, I'm around kids all day. For you regular listeners, you guys know that I'm around kids all day and it is a fight every day. But when I find out situations that the kids are going through at home, like there's one that is her parents are going through a divorce so that she's acting out or, you know, someone who's going through situation where they have nowhere to sleep or their only meal is actually at the school and things like that. You know, math is important. Yeah. But it's more important now that we as adults just are there to listen and, and they know that they can trust you. I mean, one of the famous quotes in the co- that goes around the coaching world is they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care, you know, and, and that is so crucial. So can, can you just kind of I guess because you give a lot of tips and we're, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but can you just kind of discuss a little bit about when it comes to showing that you care, what were some of the little things that you did to eventually develop the trust of the young people? Because that's not something that happens overnight. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, oh, there's so many different things you can do, but I mm-hmm. mean, the first one that uh, I would do this every single year opening day I would uh, ask the kids, every one of them as a group, well, first they would partner up. I would ask them about their pet peeves, you know? And so Mm. we'd go around the circle and we'd ask every kid their pet peeves. And so it was just, you know, and it could be anything, you know? But it's a way like, you know, like for them, a lot of them, that was a surprise, you know, because they're used to being talked at and for a coach to to start off with that, you know? And then it it tells them that you care about them and that, that we're working on this together. Uh, so that was like a very simple tip to kind of break the ice with them and let them know you care about them. And then, you know, at the end, you know, I gave them my pet peeves, which were like students being late when they shouldn't be late, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. or students, you know, using bad language or whatever, you know, I gave them my two or three pet peeves, but that simple things where you, uh, you know, where you're just human with them and, and share your. Uh, vulnerabilities with them. And, you know, I think some coaches are scared because they want to maintain this kind of hierarchy. Uh-huh. And it, there is a hierarchy. I would tell my, my players, I would say there's three types of decisions. There's decisions I want you guys to make, like, you know, for the girls, it was like, what day is dress up day or what they're going to dress up as. And I don't care if they do pajama day or sports day or whatever. So that's right. their decision. And then I would tell them there's decisions we make together. Like, I'm going to ask for your input on this. So like, I would, ask the captains, who do they think should start? And then I would say, there's decisions I'm going to make. But again, that was like, they had never seen that before, that that the coach would kind of delineate, you know, what their role is in the team culture. And, you know, so you're saying, you're saying it's kind of like a democracy. It's not a democracy because they're not voting me in or out and they don't get to vote on everything that happens, but they get to vote on certain things. And so they get uh-huh. to see that you're in charge, what they, which they like, because they want, you know, kids want to know there's boundaries. And they also mm-hmm. like the fact, especially teenagers, like the fact that they have some say in the matter. So, and, you know, I would also say that the very first day. And so for some of the kids, they'd never seen that before. Um, and then once the season got rolling, I would always do this. Uh, every single year, I would always have these individual meetings with the kids, like 15 minutes while all the other kids are uh, warming up. I'd pull the kid aside and say, uh, we'd have a 15 minute meeting and I would take notes, you know, just fun stuff like what do you have for lunch today? Who do you live with? What's your favorite sport? What's your favorite mm-hmm. movie? You know, and just like, again, these are questions that, you know, that a coach is asking them like, what does he care what my favorite movie is? Well, I just want to get to know you. Right. And uh, it works really well, you know, 
just letting the kids know that you care about them more than just how well they, they play soccer or whatever the sport is. Yeah, and you know what I, I do now, now that I've kind of been doing workshops regularly and I've, I've been in different high schools pretty much every day for the past month, is I have started telling the kids straight up, you're not going to make money playing this game or playing whatever sport you're playing. It's not going to happen. All right. In fact, I did it today, Mark. And one of the, the actually, it's probably the same boy you were talking about at uh, Edison, who just says, damn, you just, <laughs> you just go break our, you're going to break our hearts like that. And I, and I tell him that, look, if one of you guys prove me wrong, I hope you guys prove me wrong. But if, if the, the, the numbers are in my favor when I say that, and that does not make you a failure in life. It doesn't make you any, it doesn't make you any worse. It doesn't make anything, nothing's wrong with you. The only thing now is that you have to focus on the kind of person you are and what you're going to get out of this game. Because very, the, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But what you get out of this game, the kind of person, the reputation that you build, you know, your name, your, the, the, the way people respond to you, the way you treat people, right? The way you lead is, is going to be those things that stick to your name. And if you can focus on those things, you will have a, a, a life that you could not even imagine just based on the, the reputation and how you're able to treat people. So I love that you are making sure that they know you care about things outside of the sport because very few of them are going to play at the, at, not even at the college. Some of them might probably be good enough to play at the high school level. That, that's how much competition there is out there. That's, yeah, that's a great line. I'm, that one you just told me here, tell mm -hmm. the kids, I'm going to use that. I think it's really good because it, you know, it, it kind of like clears that off the table and then they can start being themselves without putting on airs and all that. Yeah, I, I played, listen, I played for some pretty historic programs. And one of the things that stuck out to me is when those guest speakers with Coach Malloy, he'd bring in these guest speakers. And the, the things that stuck out to me were when those people came in and were 100% honest with us. Not the, the cookie cutter, you know, guest speakers that come in and say, if you try, you're going to make it, this, that, no. The ones that say, look, one of you out of a room of 100 campers, one of you is going to get a tryout with an NFL team. I just said a tryout, <laughs> one. And to hear those numbers as a kid, you're like, all right, yeah, whatever. But as you grow older, you appreciate the people that are being 100 with you and they're not doing it. They're not doing it to discourage you. They're doing it to help you to be 100% honest with you. They're, they're doing it to help you so you can focus on other things and you can focus on just how you play the game because you and I know that's the most important thing. An injury can happen. You could even have all the talent and an injury could happen that you didn't deserve. And guess what? Can't play anymore. Was he going to just stop living? It's that, that's not the way things work. So we as a, I know I'm going on a tangent on you, but you, you're just bringing up some good stuff. But, you know, we as adults, we have a responsibility to get that communicated to the young people. And, and, and that, that, that's one thing that I'm really, really excited to work with you on is, is making sure that the young people are getting a hold of that. Because, you know, you, you live through something that, you know, many people on this show and for my regular listeners, you guys have heard from quite a few of them. There have been people on this show that have survived cancer. And Mark, you have expressed to me that that was something that you had gone through. So as, as we kind of go into our next phase, can you just speak about your journey with that, this, this horrible disease of, you know, how you got the can how you got cancer and you know, how you're able to overcome it and all those kinds of things? Yeah, well, actually I got two, got it twice, two different times. I mean, two different oh times. Oh my goodness. Um, the first one really knocked me over. Uh, it, it was really very, very scary. Um, 
especially in the beginning when you first get diagnosed because everything's you know happens so quickly and there's uh they tell you you have it but the next steps have not been conducted yet which is like to determine how bad it is and all that kind of stuff so um you know i think without going into all the details i think basically i had a, a pretty good attitude i had a lot of my family was very good to me every I've now seen, you were were you coach you were coaching at the time right were you like actively coaching and then found out during the off season or i wasn't coaching but i was teaching i was working in teaching a right okay I was teaching and I was a school administrator. So I immediately took a, a leave of absence. Some, some people don't because they want to keep working. But mm -hmm. I said, I, I decided I wanted to put all my energy into getting healthy. So that was, I think was the first decision that I made that was good. And then also my family was very good to me. They just, I have six siblings. So they, every one of them came and visited. And then I had a couple of other people. I had a friend who came from uh, Venezuela I was living in San Francisco at the time, or sorry, mm -hmm. he came from Miami uh, to mm -hmm. visit me. I had another friend who came all the way from Argentina for three weeks to stay with me. So I had family support, but I think like in terms of attitude, there was a couple of things that I did, I think, which were good. One was, uh, you know, they tell you your odds, right? Like yeah, 60% of people are going to be fine and 40% aren't, aren't. That's where I started, it was 60, mm -hmm. 60, 40. So it was pretty bad odds actually 40 percent but i immediately thought okay i'm going to put myself in the 40 percent category so i did that and then um then after the uh um there was some other tests that, that they ran and my odds got better went down to like 80 20 the 80 percent that i was going to be fine so i uh, uh i automatically put myself in that category so i just kind of kept mm -hmm. shifting my attitude in a more and more positive way. And then my, I have a cousin who's a doctor and oncologist, and he said, he doesn't know why, but the people who think they're gonna make it are the ones that do. And mm. so, I, so I took that advice. And then I had a kind of a huge kind of like um, breakthrough on my very first treatment, the tumor went down like 90% on the first tr treatment. Um, mm. And so that I thought, as soon as that happened, I thought, okay, I'm gonna be all right. Um, and I was all right. After six months, I was all right. And I've been, that was almost 10 years ago. And I've been fine ever since. Uh, unfortunately, I got another type of cancer a little bit later. But with that one, I just said, okay, here we go again. And I went through it and I'm also fine. Um, so I think, you know, <laughs> having a good attitude helped and certainly having people around. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have uh, been very happy if I was, I was, you know, single at that time. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I would have been going through the whole thing by myself, and that would have been terrible. But my my siblings and friends came, and that really helped. Now, when it comes to having that that positive attitude, though, because I I don't think that's something that is natural. You know, when when you talk about now at the time you were dealing, you were around the kids regularly, right? Did that did that help you at all in terms of you getting the news, and then you immediately go into this place where look, I'm going to survive this. I'm going to be part of that percentage that survives do you think that helped at all a little bit if so how uh that's a good question um no i don't think so because at that time i was mostly an, an administrator so mm -hmm. uh i was kind of knee deep in tons of like technical stuff at the school so i didn't have that much interaction with the kids at that time in fact probably if i had it would have made it a little bit easier i would i would say because you know the kids are always so honest and 
I remember yeah. walk, walking down the street with this uh, friend of mine's daughter. We were going to get coffee or something. She was, you know, just a kid. She was only 14, but she had the wherewithal to ask about me and my cancer. And that really touched me. Like kids don't do that. Right. And they're not, right. they're not, they don't, they shouldn't, you know, at that age, they should be kind of self-centered. And this young girl really reached out to me. I thought it was amazing that she did that. Um, so I think, I, I think, you know, being around kids, you know, they're, in some ways they're much better than adults are when it comes to being uh approaching serious um issues because they don't put on any like they just go right after it you know <laughs> they don't fake it they don't you know use cliches or any of that and there's no patronizing there's no patronizing they're like blank slates and they just want to know you know they they, they their questions are coming from a very pure place and you know, so a after you went through all that and then, you know, you're back in it now, did, did now did you kind of focus more like what, what was life like for that for you after that, after you, you survived it? Well, you know, it's a, it's a cliche, but, uh, mm -hmm. cancer makes you happier, makes you a better person. But for me, it was definitely true. My life is so much better now that I had. Cancer. Mm -hmm. And the reason is I had, uh, I had uh, kind of turned 50 and had this idea it was time for me to change the world. And so yeah. I started looking around for jobs where I was going to change the world, you know, even thinking about starting my own nonprofit that was going to do this, that, or the other thing. And the school where I was working when I was going, uh, when I got the cancer was a, a low income school, which was, you know, in my heart always to work with less advantaged kids. And, you know, I was going to change the world by working at this uh this little low-income school. But then when I got cancer, I just thought, you know, it just changed all that. Like I, I lost the need to like make my mark in, mm. a, in a major way. And now I don't think about that. Like I don't have the need to like change the world. I still like, uh, you know, have some kind of dreams that I would like to do, but if they don't happen, I'm perfectly content with the life which, that I have now. And for me, the, the most important thing is like helping other people but in a kind of much smaller circle, my friends, my family, you know, a few nonprofits here and there, but I don't feel like I need to change the entire world anymore. And that has been such a, I don't want to use the word burden because that's the wrong word, but like it was the wrong focus. Like, like if you, if I think if you're going to change the world, it should happen kind of by accident, you know, cause you're just focusing on doing good stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it's, it's one of those things where a lot of people, and I, I kind of had that same mentality after college as well, is when you try to take on too much, you end up getting burnt out as opposed to staying in your lane and just trying to become a model and, and walk with faith, you know, walk with faith that people are going to see what you're doing and that your work is going to touch somebody else. So, you know, the world can change because of the work you're doing, but don't, don't put the pressure on yourself that you got to be the main one changing the world because the way, the way it kind of rubs people and then the way it even burdens yourself, it, it's no way to live. It's no way that you can be putting that burden on your shoulders because things, things aren't like, things aren't going to change. And then when things don't change, you start to feel discouraged and it's hard for you to move forward in the right way, you know? Yeah, I think it's also, you know, it's very future oriented. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do this. I'm going to build this organization. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Instead of kind of like a friend of mine calls it building with what you have, like starting with yes. what you have. You know, if you have like a little soccer team of three players, that's where you start, mm -hmm. you know, and and just, you know, kind of creep, creep forward and let the good stuff happen. 
but if you're focused on like what's going to happen next, then you're not doing what you're already good at. Man, that I, I, I am 100%, 1000% agree with what you're saying. And that is beautiful that you would come to that realization for you. People are listening in that are going through it and they may, it may have a whole lot on your plate. Just get to the next day. That's it. Take it day by day. I say it all the time. Take it day by day. We are in an age now where information is everywhere. You're overloaded with information. We're starving for just one-on-one connection, one-on-one dialogue. And if we try to take on too much of this world on our own, we'll crash and burn. However, if we just lay this brick the right way today, and then tomorrow we're going to lay a brick another way, the, the right way, eventually we're going to build a house. So that's all you got to do. Do your part, do your part. And you know, that, that kind of leads me into the next thing, you know, kind of the, the wrap up of this is, you know, Mark, can you just please tell people what's next? What do you have coming down the pipeline? What does the future hold for Mr. Mark Lawton? Well, uh, two things I, in terms of, uh, um, well, there's so many things. So I, I'm always doing like 10 different things at once, but in terms of kids and coaching, uh, the main two things I, I plan to be doing are continue with the Positive Coaching Alliance. Um, I'm doing workshops now, but I've also we also do this thing in the Northwest called Impact Coaching, where you work one-on-one with coaches. And right. I, I do I do think uh, most coaches have to kind of find their way from being making a lot of mistakes when they're younger to being more uh, more on the mastery track when they get get older. But I feel like when I work one-on-one with a coach, I can kind of help them avoid a lot of the same mistakes that we all make when we don't have somebody to talk to. So I'm trying to speed them along that, that path so that they can avoid some of the, you know, just stupid things that we do when we're new coaches. So I really enjoy that one-on-one coaching and I'll keep doing that. And I'm also now starting to talk to people about trying to start uh, a kind of a very community-based club, soccer club in Portland, where the emphasis is all about the kids and having uh, a lot of people call it the third space. You know, you have, your home and your school, and then what is the, the third space? So I actually want to uh, develop a soccer club where we have a building and the kids can hang out in the building and do their homework and and have fun and play soccer and get to know each other. So that's a big thing on my mind. And it has been on my mind for 30 years, uh, but I might be able to do it now. I love that, man. I love that. You just let me know. I, that would be excellent to have and, and to be kind of that model like we were just talking about, just having that model and then teaching other coaches or showing other parents, you know, this is the way to do things. And well, what, what is the best way for someone to get in touch with you? If they're interested in working with you, if they have any follow-up questions, you can kind of put all that stuff out there now as well. Um, well, I have a website with, it's basically my, my uh, resume, but it's online. Uh, and it's my name, Mark S Lawton.com. And on there, you'll find my contact info. You can email me and you can call me. I mean, especially coaches, if they want to talk about what's going on on their team, you know, in an, in a, un, uh, there's no evaluation, there's no judgment. It's just about two coaches talking to each other. I love working with coaches one-on-one. So if any coaches want to talk to me or anybody wants to talk to me about the cancer path or working in schools, uh, I'd be happy to talk to anybody. I, I really enjoy um, chatting with people. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. So the, the, I don't know if you got a chance to listen to any of my show, any of the episodes of the show yet, but what we, what I officially, what I do with all my guests, how we officially close the show is I want you to use your imagination a little bit, Mark. And I want you to pretend that you just found out you have cancer and you know, it was just tough. You didn't know where, what, which Avenue you were going to turn, but 
you are who you are now. And I want you to speak to the person and just kind of give that, talk that person, give that word person some words of encouragement and we'll officially close. Okay, well, if it happened to me again, I would just say, remember, you've done this twice already. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, know what, you know what the program is. So it's gonna be the same thing with different treatments or whatever, but uh, you've been through it before. So don't get yourself all worked up. It's gonna be fine been through it been there done that man i love that my been there done that because it's just take action man you take action and it becomes just part of you all right well actually before i officially officially close is there anything that else that you would want to share that's on your heart to to kind of let people know have you gotten it all out uh well the one thing that i think is the most important thing for coaches is keep the kids moving you know mm-hmm. no lines no laps no lectures just let them keep moving and, and having fun uh and the rest is going to take care of itself. Keep it moving. Make it move. Make it move. That's why it's called Move Swiftly Podcast. All right, man. You ready? All right. Fellow teammates, continue to move swiftly. We will talk more soon. <laughs>